You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. be in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one, give you one as a gift. If you don't own one, if you'll just raise your hand, we have an usher in the back. He will make sure that you get your copy of God's Word. So a few weeks ago, we, we shared a testimony from one of our folks who have a seat at the table, Joan Losicero. Uh, about her experience uh, with the screens fast. I guess it's Lo Cicero, I apologize. But her experience with the screens fast, and we did this for two reasons. One, in case you don't know, our church did a fasting of screens over the Thanksgiving break. We took one day and we said, you know what, we're going to take 24 hours and we're just going to wipe out the screens in our life. And some of us had work and we we couldn't do it at that time and maybe some of us did it at a different time. Uh, But Joan wanted to share her experience. And one of the reasons we did this was, number one, we, we think having healthy relationships with screens is important. We definitely think making sure that you know that this is a tool in your life and you are to control it, rather it controlling you, is something very important. But the second reason was because we believe that your story matters. And so Joan shared her story of how God moved and how God spoke in a way that she maybe hadn't heard in a long time, and it was extremely impactful in her life. And our testimonies and our stories matter. And here's the reality, the reason why her story mattered, the reason why Our story matters is because God moves through our stories. Especially if you are a Christ follower, you can see the hand of God through your story. I mean, reflect back on those moments where you, you know, maybe maybe it was that first moment when you prayed to receive Christ, when you said, Lord, I, I surrender all and I am your now chosen son or daughter. Like you can think of that moment and generally speaking, it will send shivers kind of up your body or, you know, whatever. Like you, you can remember and you go, man, that, that was huge. Or there's other moments where you've prayed for something and God has answered time and time again. If you reflect on your story as a Christ follower, you see the gospel living and active right there in front of you. And all of us have unique stories. Even if you're in this room or listening later on a podcast or whatever, and you're not a Christ follower, you have a unique story. You you have things that make you who you are. But the interesting uh, point about all of our stories is that I believe Scripture points back to a place where God wants to be in your story. And if you will let Him, He will do a magnificent miracle and maybe multiple magnificent miracles. The bottom line for our message today is that your story holds the power to unlock miracles. But it's not because of your story, it's because inside of your story is the gospel. Your story holds the power to unlock miracles because inside of your story is the gospel. We come into church... And we hear statements like that. And I think some of us expect to hear statements like that. But then others of us go, "Mm, miracles, that makes me uncomfortable. But if you think about going from death to life, isn't that a miracle? If you think about all of the ways 
even if you're not aware of them, that God intricately moves in your life. If we sit down and have a conversation, going, I just don't believe God does miracles in my life, I would be willing to bet you that if we sat down for 30 minutes over coffee and I heard your story, I could go, how did that happen? Coincidence? I think not. What is that? Sherlock Holmes? Isn't that who says that? Time and time again, what I believe and what I see is that it's not about what you've done. It's about what God did. And the moment that we can surrender to that will be the moment that our eyes are opened and our heart is awakened and we go, that is the glory of our story. It is God. And so the significance of our text today, I think, reveals two things, and two things that I hope that we see. Number one, I want you to see God in your story. I want you to see God in your story. No matter where you are, my first challenge for us is to see God in our story. The the second one is I want us to begin to take steps to share our story. So as we open up this text, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, the title of my sermon as we stand in the honor of reading God's Word is Faith for the Impossible. Faith for the Impossible. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, and we'll read all the way through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will, be overshad- will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. So what I want to do is I want to kind of just walk through and break down this text as we kind of get to the understanding and the points that I've mentioned before. So as we begin in that very first verse, in verse chapter, verse 26, excuse me, it says in the sixth month. So what's happening here is that Luke is connecting this story of, of Mary and, and the foretold birth of Jesus to the previous story. If you mentioned last, if you remember last week, and if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it, but the previous story of Zechariah and Elizabeth's foretold birth of John the Baptist. So there's a, there's a direct connection here to these two stories. Luke wants to make sure that, hey, this is kind of happening in real time. So when he says in the sixth month, he's referring that Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. 
And if you remember this story, this is Zechariah and Elizabeth, a very royal uh, family, uh, certainly in the religious world. Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth comes from the line of Aaron, priests. And Zechariah is chosen to go serve in the temple. He does this. Gabriel shows up and says, hey, you old folks are going to have a baby. And Zechariah goes, you what? Old folks? How's that happening? Like, we, we can't do this. Zechariah gets punished because of his lack of faith in Gabriel, and yet, even still, God's miracle comes through. And we saw from that that it isn't just enough to believe, but we must trust in God. So Luke is connecting these two stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth's birth, or foretold birth of John the Baptist, and now Mary's foretold birth of Jesus. You skip down to, to verse 28. And he calls Mary the, what, the favored one. Now, this is a very different conversation and context that Mary is having with Gabriel than Zechariah had. Remember, Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, made it a point to us to reveal the, the personal piety of Zechariah and Elizabeth in the encounter for John the Baptist. He, taught, he called them righteous before the Lord. But here, the value of Mary isn't focused on her personal piety or her righteousness. What is it based on? You go down to verse 30, it says, onto God's favor. You have found favor with God. So Luke is separating these two stories right here in the very beginning. Story one of Zechariah and Elizabeth, he talks about how their righteousness is, is part of the kind of the calculations and why God chose them. And then we go to Mary in part two and it just says, he just chose her. He chose this teenage girl, not necessarily based on her merit or her work, but because God chose her. Now, this isn't evidence to say that Zechariah and Elizabeth was somehow more righteous or better than Mary. It's just a simple fact that he wants to shift our point of view. He wants us to, to see that the pastoral kind of priestly family can be used by God just like a teenager can be used by God. Do you see that? The different stories, no matter your birth, birthright, your experiences, no matter your good or your bad choices, God is ready to use you. That's, that's what Luke is doing here. He's kind of highlighting, hey, this, this kind of priestly family who most people would say, oh, they got it all together, God's going to choose them and use them. But then you choose this teenage girl over here who, for the most part, would kind of be overlooked by society, and God isn't only going to choose her. He's going to send his son to dwell in her. That's miraculous to me. It, it sends this picture that no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, God will use you if you allow him. Think about that in context of your story. No matter your birthright, no matter your experiences, no matter your good or bad choices, God is ready to use you. Are you ready to be used by God? So we, we got, kind of got the context of the story built. Here is Mary, a teenage girl. This story is linked and connected to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, so John the Baptist's birth. Mary is chosen by God, and then she hears the news, what she's chosen for. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And then at the end of that moment, Mary kind of looks back and says, okay, 
how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, this is important because I think when we first read this account in Luke chapter 1, one of our first questions could be, okay, so Zechariah questions Gabriel and he is punished. Why isn't Mary punished when she asks a question? And the simple answer is, at face value, the question is very, very similar. But when you dive deep into the context of what's happening, it's actually a very different question altogether. So Mary isn't questioning and doubting the miracle of God, which Zechariah was. Mary is questioning and wanting to know more about how the process of this is going to work, and it it directly connects to verse 32. When Gabriel looks at Mary and says, the Lord God will give to him, the son, the throne of his father, David. So here's Mary. Let's understand what's going on in Mary's heart and, and, and everything. So Mary is betrothed. So meaning she's engaged to her, her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. Now, in Jewish culture, um, being married was kind of a two-step process. Step one, your, your parents really found a mate, right? If, if you're the bride, they're looking for a groom. If you're the groom, looking for a bride. And then they chose, hey, this will work great, and they put them together. That's step one. You're now engaged. During that process now, the family's kind of then, I don't know, have, have like a, almost a legal conversation.